you are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, everybody. Welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, as we continue to look at the Orioles' trade deadline moves here on the pod. Uh, today's episode of Locked On Orioles, though, is brought to you by rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's now impossible to stock all the parts your car will need in a traditional chain storefront. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questions and wait while the counterman orders the parts on his computer, choosing only the brand that the warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. RockAuto.com has everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Go to RockAuto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. On today's episode, we are going to look at the Miguel Castro trade that the Orioles made with the New York Mets uh, just before Monday's trade deadline, and then also preview that same New York Mets team that comes into Camden Yards this week for a quick two-game series uh, Tuesday and Wednesday the Birds and the Mets, couple of struggling baseball teams right now with similar records. Orioles at 15 and 19, the Mets at 15 and 20. So we're going to talk a little later about the Miguel Castro trade as he was sent right before the deadline uh, over to the New York Mets for the left-hander Kevin Smith, the Mets' number 12 prospect in the system, left-handed starting pitcher uh, who finished his year with really good numbers at Double A in 2019 he's been added to the Orioles player pool with the trade probably won't see him in the bigs this year but we could see him in the big leagues in 2021 for the Orioles also a player to be named later or cash will be coming over as well in that deal uh, to talk about that deal uh, Jacob Resnick is going to join us after the break uh, he covers the Mets minor leagues uh, for Metsmerized and Metsminers.net. And uh, he's going to join us to break down everything we need to know about the lefty Kevin Smith. That'll be after the break. Uh, but coming up right now, we are going to be joined here on the podcast by Sarah Langs. Uh, she is a producer and a reporter at MLB Advanced Media, but she's uh, been a lot of places in baseball. Used to work at ESPN, CSN Chicago, uh, and then also SNY, of course, covering the Mets uh, in New York, and uh, one of the foremost experts on Mets baseball uh, is Sarah is going to join us to talk about all things Mets uh, as we hit this upcoming series against New York. One thing, uh, as we recorded this, uh, the Mets had not named any starters for the series. Uh, it does still look like it'll be somewhat of a bullpen day in Tuesday's game, uh, but we thought it might be Franklin Kilome getting the start. Uh, instead, it's going to be Ariel Girado making his first career start uh, with the New York Mets on Tuesday. So we'll talk about the Mets bullpen, the the hitters that have been performing well and the, and the struggles as well uh, from Pete Alonzo and, and talk a little bit about who the pitchers 
uh, we could see this week for a struggling New York Mets team that has lost four in a row. But we jump right into it here with Sarah Langs as uh, she starts it off talking about the walk-off home run from Ahmed Rosario uh, at Yankee Stadium over the weekend, really the last uh, positive moment uh, in the Mets season after uh, or before the four-game losing streak. And we jump right into it here with Sarah Langs from MLB.com. You know, the Ahmed Rosario walk-off home run on Friday, the fact that we hadn't had a walk-off home run by a visitor since the 1890s, him hitting, obviously, that home run at Yankee Stadium off her oldest Chapman. I think that, you know, it wasn't just exciting for the team. It was, you know, pretty fun. I love all stats and historical notes, everything like that. Um, so that was a really fun moment, I think, for everybody who likes those kinds of quirks. And then the bullpen had some issues, you know, the rest of the series. Obviously, uh, you know, the grand slam to Gary Sanchez on Sunday, <laughs> the way that the first game ended on Sunday, those two doubleheader games, the first game took a long time. Um, it just was not, you know, where the team, I think, would want to be. But ultimately, you know, this is a team that, they still are like sixth in playoff odds in the National League, but I mean, we know a lot of teams are going to make the playoffs. I don't think that necessarily this team is going to be one of them. Yeah, I mean, obviously, still a you know a little less than half the season to play, but uh, with the Mets right now at fifteen and twenty, uh, they're going to need to get get back to some wins to get back to the playoffs. You mentioned that bullpen, which which did struggle, and it looks like right now because of you know all the double headers the Mets just had to play. Uh, it's probably going to be a bullpen day in, in game one uh, against the Orioles here at Camden Yards. Um, and, you know, we know that, that Dylan Betances uh, just went on the injured list, as did Steven Matz. And, and you know, the, the Mets are kind of cycling through guys who they trust and don't trust between Edwin Diaz and Familia and Justin Wilson. So who, who are, if there are these guys, the trustworthy relievers uh, in the Mets bullpen right now? Yeah, there's definitely been, I mean, it's such an interesting question because when Edwin Diaz came in, in the first game of the doubleheader on Sunday, he had actually been pitching really well. He hadn't allowed an earned run in August after getting off to a little bit of a shaky start in those first few games in July. So when you think about, you know, who is the reliable reliever, he in a way was until that moment. But obviously, you know, with the way his season went last year compared to the previous year when he was with the Mariners, that's always a question. It's tough. I mean, I'm just looking at the Mets pitchers right now, and there are a lot of uh, ERAs that are north of four, you know, or north of four and a half. I think that, you know, someone like Jason Shreve has been pretty good for them. I don't really know how they would best utilize him in a game like that. He's only gone pretty much an inning or a little bit more than that at any point. Um, they're not really the type of, I don't know, one of the things that I talk about a lot with the Rays, um, who everybody looks to as the pioneer of the opener and the concept of a really good bullpen game, is that they have outstanding relievers, right? And they have so many of them. And the thing is, not every team can do that because not every team has that many good relievers up and down the board. And I think that's sort of the situation that the Mets are in right here. Um, I mean, Seth Lugo was a great reliever for them, and now he's starting again, which is something that he was pretty vocal about wanting to get to do. And he's been, you know, pretty good starting at this point, but that obviously takes him out of the mix for a game like this. So I'm not really sure what to expect out of them in terms of who might be uh, in, you know, in those different roles and in different innings tonight. Yeah, we've heard, you know, the Mets haven't named a starter for either game. We've heard rumblings of, Franklin Kilome, uh, the rookie, maybe who just uh, returned to the roster, maybe starting and it becoming a bullpen day. Obviously, the Mets have former Oriole Brad Brock, who's been 
pretty good as well, but could see a lot of different arms um, in game one. In game two, uh, it feels like it's either going to be Michael Waka or David Peterson uh, who pitched in the two games, the doubleheader uh, on Friday, which would put them on regular rest for Wednesday. Um, and, and, you know, I think, you know, Peterson, a, a rookie who, who's pitched fairly well, but, you know, I'm kind of interested in Waka because it feels like the Mets brought him in to be, you know, a, a veteran presence in the, in the middle of the rotation. Um, and, and he, you know, along with Rick Porcello really has not worked out it seems so far. Yeah, I mean, he he and Porcello were definitely sort of grouped together in my mind, and I think in a lot of people's minds in spring training and the first spring training, because those were the two veteran guys who, at the time, it appears they brought in to compete for a rotation spot, because that was before Noah Syndergaard was hurt. That was before there were the questions that now exist with Stephen Matz, at least to this extent. Um, so at that point, and that was before Marcus Stroman had uh, elected not to play this season. So at that point, they had four starters. They just needed one more. And it was which of these veteran guys who have a pretty good track record but have not maybe been the best in the last year or two uh, is going to work out. Then, of course, because, you know, you can't predict baseball and you certainly can't predict the world in 2020, they both ended up in the rotation with no more Syndergaard, no more uh, – no more Marcus Stroman and the fact that uh, Steven Matz has struggled and is now on the injured list as a reliever. The thing with Waka is, I mean, he hasn't pitched great. If you watch him, it doesn't feel like he's pitched great, but I'm looking at his stat cast page right now and we have an expected ERA, which is essentially just saying, what should your ERA be based on the contact you've given up? So launch angle, exit velocity, strikeouts, just the idea of like how you have maybe actually pitched is the way I like to think of it. And his ERA is 7.41, but his expected ERA is 3.67, which is a pretty big difference and tells you that there's probably a lot going on behind him in terms of questionable defensive plays and, you know, some hard hit balls that, or some not hard hit balls that probably should have been caught weren't anything like that. So that's certainly some sort of uh, hope to have there, but ultimately he's giving up a lot more hard contact than he has even in the past, even in recent years where he did struggle. So it's interesting. I mean, I think that probably in an ideal world where the Mets were at, it would have been good for them if he had pitched a little better and could have been one of these pieces to be traded yesterday. Uh, we know that a lot of teams need pitching. We know that a lot of teams who need pitching didn't even get that pitching because asking prices seem to be a little high for someone like Lance Lynn. And you can imagine that a pretty good year Michael Walker would have been in that sort of lower tier, almost raw stripling type of mix. Um, obviously different, much older player, but uh, that has not worked out thus far. You mentioned that trade deadline uh, and, and Todd Frazier back in a Mets uniform. <laughs> uh, we could see him in the lineup, obviously, in these two games. Um, and, and maybe, you know, asking for a little production, uh, a little more than, than they've been getting maybe uh, at first base because, you know, Pete Alonso's still been good. Uh, but he, he's been nowhere near 2019 Pete Alonzo. Is it cause for concern or just a slow start to a, to a weird season? You know, it's tough because I feel like any slow start is cause for concern in such a short season because even if he would have broken out of this by, you know, the equivalent of July, which we're not going to get because there won't be that fourth month of the season, 
if you were to, you know, he had such a great year last year and for him to come out and thus far be struggling, if he were to struggle the whole season, even if it's just two months, you just worry about what that does to him moving forward. And there are, you know, definitely some causes for concern just in his, his stats overall, obviously his slugging percentage is way down and he's not hitting the ball as hard as he was last year. He's just about MLB average and exit velocity, which he was, uh, you know, four miles an hour, two to four miles an hour above that last year, uh, which ends up affecting all of the expected stats. So again, I mentioned expected ERA, there's expected slugging percentage too, and it's not supposed to be super complicated. The idea is just, this is what it should be based on the contact you've made. And his expected slugging percentage this year is 416, which is a little bit above what he's actually slugging, which is 383. But it's still not in that 500-plus type of range that we, you know, came to expect of him in a really short time last year. He seems to be maybe a little more impatient at the plate. He's swinging at the first pitch a little bit more, and he's whiffing a little bit more on his swings. And just watching him, I can definitely, like, think of moments where I've seen that. And you've seen frustration from him. I mean, he's a really fun player to watch because his emotions are right out there on the field and he's a very genuine guy. And that's become clear, you know, in just a year plus in New York, but unfortunately when he's struggling, it means that all of that is really on display and, you know, it's just unfortunate. I hate seeing anybody struggle. So I really hope that he can figure it out, but he's certainly not doing what he did last year. It's not like he's hitting the ball just as hard and he's just hitting into hard luck outs. Yeah. You know, they're, they're not getting the same production that they got last year from, from P Alonzo or from Jeff McNeil who had his breakout season. However, uh, those spots are being filled. The 37 year old Robinson Cano having a little bit of a resurgence right now with six homers. Uh, he's hitting 375 on the year, but, but I really want to talk about Dom Smith who seems to be having his breakout season this year. And, and he right now leading this team uh, with seven homers And, you know, you wouldn't have thought this coming into the season, but right now it feels like when the Mets need a run producer, they want Dom Smith in the batter's box right now. Absolutely. I mean, this is just one of those stories that's so great to see. You know, this is a former first-round pick. They took him 11th in 2013, and he'd never really gotten that regular playing time, you know. Like in 2017, they called him up in the middle of the year. He didn't get to play the whole year. It was back and forth. And then 2018, sort of a similar thing. Last year, maybe he would have, but Pete Alonso came onto the scene and was playing first base. And, you know, Dom Smith in left field has been an adventure, and it continues to be. But now it's less of a, you know, problem for this team because he's hitting so well. And just getting those regular at-bats really seems to be helping him. He's third in the majors in slugging percentage behind Juan Soto and Luke Voigt. I mean, I don't think anyone would have predicted that entering the year, but I would think or hope that Mets player development people would say, you know, this is what we saw out of this kid when we drafted him. And so it's just one of those stories that really makes you, you know, glad to see. And we've also seen a lot from him, especially in the last week with how much of a leader he clearly, you know, appears to be for this team and in baseball in general. And it's great to see a player really coming into a personality like that. And I mean, covering the team a handful of times last year, I saw how much energy he had in the clubhouse. And obviously he was hurt for a lot of the year, but he would be in there on his little scooter because of his injury. And you could see that he was a big part of the glue of the team. And I think that Alonzo and Dom Smith seem to have a really good relationship there, which helps the team. Um, And I think that all of these struggles that we mentioned for Alonzo and others aside, I do think this is a really good clubhouse right now. And I think that that's worth noting because, you know, a lot of times with the Mets, you think of, you know, maybe things that go wrong, mishaps, however you want to put it. And I think that it's a really, really a testament to these players about how bonded together they seem these days. 
Yeah, you mentioned Dom Smith on the scooter. I have like a vivid memory of a, of a walk-off win last year, the Mets, where he's, he's scooting out there yes. Uh, yes. To, to, to join the celebration. But, but it's good to see him uh, really turn it on this year and, and, you know, seemingly put it all together. And, and, you know, it feels like he's been around for a little while, but he's only 25. Um, yeah. And he still has a lot of time uh, to go. And the Mets hope he can continue to be a, a middle-of-the-order hitter. Uh, but, but Mets and Orioles for two games, I think the Orioles very happy that they'll be avoiding Jacob deGrom um, and, and feel like that they can probably uh, – they have a chance against some of these other guys. But, Sarah, uh, thank you so much for joining us to uh, talk about the Mets. And, and, and one last thing before you go, you know, you mentioned this at the top, but they're 15-20. and 20. It's been a little bit of a tough last couple of games. Um, with, with the roster they have and the, and the more minor moves they made at the deadline, does it still feel like they can, they can be a playoff team and end in that top eight? Yeah, so first of all, I said they were sixth in playoff odds before I meant eighth. I was counting. There were, wasn't a ranking, so I apologize for that. But that is worth noting because obviously eighth in playoff odds in the National League is right on the border there these days. And they are ahead of the Reds right now, but I think that that's the team that I look at as if you look at the top nine in the National League, at least by playoff odds on fan graphs right now, that probably could supersede them and end up being the playoff team instead. I mean, we saw the Reds get Archie Bradley yesterday and, you know, make some moves. Um, that seemed a little bit more angled towards October this season. Whereas, you know, we talked about Todd Frazier and the Mets got Robinson Chirinos and Miguel Castro, but I'm not sure that those are, those aren't necessarily the same kind of, Hey, we're, you know, playoff type of moves. Um, obviously in 2020 with all of these playoff teams, it's anything could happen, but it feels like it doesn't necessarily feel like this is a playoff team right now. Oh, but I, I do have to say that, you know, we need to recalibrate because what a playoff team is, is completely different this year because there are more teams and I'm still getting used to that when I see a team and I think, Hey, they don't, they don't look that great. And then they're like, you know, sixth in the league. So actually they probably would be a playoff team. Yeah. That's the thing. You know, if they, they rattle off a couple more wins or, or, or get hot at some point, they can be right back in the middle of the picture of the playoffs. But Sarah, again, thank you so much uh, for joining us to, to talk about the Mets. Uh, we hope you're, uh, you're staying safe and, enjoying some baseball here in the middle of this season. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Well, for the last, I guess it's been five months now. If I'm getting food from a restaurant, it's it's pretty much been through Postmates. I can get food delivered without even leaving the house or even opening the door. Given what's going on in the world still with COVID-19, they created non-contact deliveries. So now when I order from local restaurants, everything gets left right outside my door. There's also Postmates Pickup, which I've been using in order to order takeout from my favorite local restaurants. Listen up, you guys need to be supporting your local neighborhood spots right now. And I've pretty much been ordering mostly local restaurants because it's a great way to support the community. But Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers and sushi. They actually make my life easier by picking up everything I need from Walgreens, from 7-Eleven, um, and they drop it off right outside my door. Just download Postmates on iOS or Android, find your favorites, and get anything you want delivered within the hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100. Yeah, you heard that right. $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use code LOCKEDON. That's code LOCKEDON for $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it.
Can the Guinness Book of World Records give 2020 world's greatest delay a game? Even though sports had a break, your business did not. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Well, Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash LockedOnMLB. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash LockedOnMLB. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. All right, so we welcome in Jacob Resnick into the podcast. He covers the Mets uh, and the minor league system uh, for Metsmerized and uh, over at MetsMiners.net. And Jacob, thank you so much for uh, on a little short notice here right after the trade deadline coming on to, uh, to talk this Orioles-Mets trade with us. Yeah, of course, no problem. And so we, we bring you on to talk the, uh, the final trade that the Orioles made right before the deadline. It was not the final trade that the Mets made, uh, but it was for the Orioles, their only uh, deal here on deadline day. They, they send uh, the right-handed pitcher, Miguel Castro, to the Mets, and the Orioles will receive left-handed pitcher Kevin Smith along with a player to be named later or Cash in return. So I think, you know, Orioles fans' first question is, all right, you know, they've seen Miguel Castro be good. They've seen him be bad. So, you know, what is this return and what are they getting in a guy who was the, the Mets' number 12 prospect, according to MLB.com? Yeah, I mean, he's a very solid left-handed pitcher. Um, you know, kind of fits the mold of what the Mets have been targeting, or really what they were targeting in the pre-Brody Van Wagenen era uh, in the draft. Uh, they picked up Anthony Kay in 2016. They picked up uh, David Peterson in 2017. Both of those pitchers are are now in the majors, Kay with the Blue Jays and, and Peterson with the Mets. Uh, and, and Smith was was uh, in the seventh round in, in 2018. So um, just the, these lefties that are, that are durable – uh, have the potential to throw a lot of innings in the major leagues, really profile as uh, major league rotation pieces. A lot of times you, you see starters in the minor leagues and, and you wonder if, if they do end up in the rotation or, or they might have to uh, be relegated to a bullpen role down the line. Um, Smith, like those other guys I mentioned, um, seem to be pretty solid uh, rotation guys going forward. Um, but they're all kind of, you know, crafty lefties, not, not necessarily crafty, but uh, lefties who aren't going to overpower you. Uh, and, and Smith is no different. Um, you know, particularly his arm angle is interesting, uh, which kind of allows him to have that fastball play up a little bit. I mean, it's not really going to top 92, 93, um, you know, perhaps in a shorter outing, it'll, it'll, you know, get up to, to 95, 96, but really as a starter, he'll be anywhere from 80, 88, 89, um, up to 91, 92, 93, um, you know, but just, just kind of a, a very cerebral, uh, all around, um, advanced starter. Um, and you know, for, 
for a guy in the Mets system, at least, uh, we rarely have seen guys in the past um, reach double A by the end of their second pro season. Uh, and that was what Smith did last year. Um, he was drafted in 2018, pitched in, in short season with, with Brooklyn, uh, started uh, with, with St. Lucie in, in 2019 in, in, in high A, and then made it up to to double A by the end of the year. So we, we have not seen that a lot in this organization. So I think that's really just a testament to, to how much they liked him as, a, as an arm and as a potential contributor. Uh, they invited him to spring training uh, this past year, which you don't see very often for guys in their going to their third pro season. Um, so he was in spring training. He was, he was at the alternate training site. Uh, so he was in the, the 60 men player pool and, and, the reports were, were sparse, but uh, the, the rumblings were that he was pitching pretty well over there. And uh, I'm sure with the, the data sharing system and, and video sharing system, the, the Orioles liked what they saw um, on the, the trackman readings. I mean, he's had good spin rates on his fastball in the past. Um, so, yeah, just kind of an all-around solid uh, left-handed arm who uh, is going to give you a different look from that, that lower arm slot, like I mentioned. And, um, you know, if, if everything clicks, perhaps you're looking at a number three starter. If, if not, uh, maybe a, a number number four or number five guy, which, um, you know, definitely doesn't hurt to be able to develop those guys in your system. And, and you mentioned a couple things there that I wanted to, to build off of, but, but especially kind of two things. And, and really the one big one being how fast so far he had risen through the Mets system. I mean, I know he's a college guy, so he's a little bit older, which makes it a little easier uh, to advance him through the system. But, you know, in his second se- uh, season in the Mets organization, he made six starts uh, at double A with a 3.45 ERA after making 17 starts at high A with a 3.05 ERA. Uh, and the other thing is, you know, you'll sometimes see guys do that, you know, if they're maybe going from a starting to a bullpen role. Uh, but he was a reliever more often than not his final year at Georgia and when the Mets drafted him they turned him back into a starter Uh, and usually when you stretch a guy back out like that maybe his advancement in the system is a little delayed but that wasn't the case so kind of what what does that you know all that together say about him yeah it's a great point and I think it it goes back to kind of what what I was saying about him kind of being unique for the organization and how they've advanced guys in the past um you know, last year was the first year with uh, Brody Van Wagenen as the GM, and he had brought in uh, both Allard Baird and Jared Banner from Boston to head up the player development and the minor league, um, you know, coordinating uh, the whole system. And so there was a bit of a, a philosophy change in terms of kind of getting guys quicker through the system. Um, but even, you know, a guy like Justin Dunn, who was their first round pick in 2016, uh, he spent the entirety of his second pro season, um, the first full pro season, but, but second minor league season, he spent that entire season in high A, uh, didn't reach double A until his third season. Now he's in the major leagues. Um, this year with, uh, with Seattle, he played in, at the end of last year with them too. Uh, and then David Peterson as well, um, actually started his second pro season in low A, again, as, as a pretty advanced college guy. Uh, and then like Smith reached double A at the end of his second pro season. Peterson had only reached uh, high A at the end of his second pro season. So, you know, and I think, you know, they've talked him up uh, internally kind of to, to scouts and other people kind of around the game. They've, they've, uh, they've really liked him. So it doesn't surprise me that they've, they've pushed him like that. Um, 
but I think that's that's just really a testament to his uh, cerebral capacity and and just ability to to grind out uh, innings and and face advanced hitters and you know certainly pitching uh, his college career at a at a big school like Georgia uh, certainly doesn't hurt also. Yeah, I just wanted to get kind of quickly your your thoughts from from the Mets side of it because obviously the Mets have seen him and they give him up for for a guy like Castro who when he's good he's got closer stuff when he's not good things really fall apart on him uh and and you know Cespedes family barbecue on on Twitter uh, kind of said the same thing that, that that I was thinking and and telling a couple of Mets fans friends that like he's he's somewhat of a poor man's Edwin Diaz and they they've just added another Diaz so from the Mets point of view does he feel like a prospect who is equal in a trade to getting a guy like Castro? Do you feel like it's lopsided one way or the other? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Uh, It's, I think the way I'll frame it is that um, it's a fair trade in a vacuum, just, you know, that kind of level prospect, you know, he was a 10 to 15 prospect in the Mets system, which is, is a, a bottom 10 system in, in uh, Major League Baseball uh, for, for a guy like Castro, who, who like you mentioned, has, has looked really good and has looked really bad at times. Uh, so it's, it's a fair trade in a vacuum, uh, but it probably is going to hurt the Mets more than it's going to help the Orioles um, fr- from the, the Kevin Smith perspective. Um, you know, I don't know if you've been Following the Mets, I'm sure, you know, like you said, you have, you have some friends who, uh, who are, are Mets fans, and I'm sure I know what they're thinking right now. But um, if, if you paid any close attention to them this season, um, they're starting pitching, which was once uh, considered one of the top groups in the league, uh, has just been absolutely decimated. Uh, but for some reason, they, they just seem to keep trading these depth guys who ha- have value to a team that needs – uh, just arms who can give you something, perhaps they give you a little more than you expected. You know, they've been trading these guys who they presumably were high on um, in these, I mean, it kind of feels like these short-sighted moves. So, you know, I, I don't really know what to make of it. If, if Castro ends up being uh, Diaz-like, uh, as you mentioned, um, you know, this guy, I guess this kind of has the potential to come back and, and bite them. I mean, I guess Castro to me seems like someone who uh, maybe you feel lucky that you have two more years of team control, uh, or he could be a non-tender candidate in the offseason if uh, if things go extremely south. So, uh, and that not even to mention uh, the player to be named later, uh, which was also included. And uh, we've seen Brody Van Wagenen get uh, fleeced by other G- smart GMs in the in the past um, with these. Uh, minor league, you know, low-level minor league, just kind of plucking certain guys. I mean, the, the Rays picked up a guy who had not a Dominican summer league guy who hadn't even made his pro debut yet last year. So uh, that has the potential to to impact how we kind of analyze this trade, but we, we won't know who that is uh, for a, a couple months or, or maybe, you know, after the, the season is over. So, um, like I said, fair trade in a vacuum. Um but certainly when we're looking three, four years down the line and perhaps Kevin Smith is the Orioles, you know, number three, maybe number two starter, if, if they're not able to bring in a, a big free agent or two um, and, and Castro is, you know, struggling to, to get outs in the, in the seventh inning, um, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how we look at this uh, down the line. 
Yeah, that's that's the hope for the Orioles. If they can get a, a two or three guy, I mean, that's that's really best case scenario by far for Mike Elias. Yeah, it's a it's a lot to look forward to for the Orioles, and then we'll obviously see how this trade plays out. Uh, Jacob, thanks again for joining us. Um, enjoy Miguel Castro. Listen, he he had some bad moments with the Orioles, uh, but when he was on, uh, he's really fun to watch. And I will say that this will be the one thing I'll say for Mets fans who are, you know, maybe a little upset about this trade. Uh, Miguel Castro had the highest number of pitches on Pitching Ninja this season of all Orioles pitchers. So there is one thing, at least to, to bring a positive out of that uh, for Castro. But, but Jacob, once again, thank you so much for joining us and telling us about uh, one of the Orioles' newest prospects in the left-hander, Kevin Smith. My pleasure, Connor. Anytime. So again, our thanks to both Sarah Langs and Jacob Resnick for joining the pod to talk uh, the Mets in general and the Mets prospects, especially uh, Kevin Smith, who comes over to the Orioles in the Miguel Castro trade. We're going to miss Castro. Uh, A lot of good moments from him. It was pretty emotional between him and Brandon Hyde uh, yesterday after hearing of the trade. Of course, he had some big moments, uh, some low moments as well, but he's controlled through 2022 for the Mets. And, uh, you know, maybe he figures it out fully in a, in a New York uniform. He was definitely figuring it out early in this 2020 season, uh, but things weren't going as well the last couple appearances for Castro. Uh, but we know he's got good stuff, and he could always uh, continue to try and figure it out. Uh, but the Orioles get a guy who definitely projects to be a, a middle or back end of the rotation starter in the big leagues, and, and uh, that's good for this Orioles franchise going forward. Uh, tomorrow coming up on the pod, we are going to continue to look at, you know, some guys who were recently in the minors, but, but really Orioles prospects is Adam Pohl, the play-by-play voice of the Bowie Bay Sox will join us tomorrow. He's going to talk to us about guys like Keegan Aiken, Ryan Mountcastle, Dean Kramer, and others who he's recently seen in Bowie who were either already with the O's. Of course, Keegan Aiken looking really good in his first career start yesterday. Ryan Mountcastle with the two-homer game the other day. And then guys like Kramer, uh, Michael Bauman, and others who are you know either in the 60-man player pool or are close to the big leagues, and we will have a good conversation with Adam about that coming up tomorrow. And we'll, of course, also recap Game 1 of the series between the Orioles and the Mets. Coming up tonight, again, that is at Camden Yards, 7.35 Eastern time start. Asher Wojciechowski with a 5.13 ERA on the season will go for the Orioles. And Ariel Girado, uh, the right-handed pitcher, will make his first start, first appearance with the Mets. Uh, He spent the last two seasons uh, and made 26 starts and 44 appearances with the Texas Rangers, a career 5.85 ERA for the 24-year-old right-hander who the Mets will see tonight against the Orioles. But we'll be back with you tomorrow again for a conversation with Adam Pohl. But until then, this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.